0: Up to this weird book in the Bible in the Old Testament called Song of Songs or Song of Solomon. We're gonna have some fun. Are you guys ready for this? No, <laughs> that's the answer. I'm here. Like, I, I, you will be ready for this by the end of it. It's gonna be a fun teaching series that we're about to dive into. But before we get into that, I want to thank Dana for doing a great job. If you heard that announcement, Saturday's services, we've got a dream of what God could do this coming fall. Our theme for the entire year is God's enough. And so we believe he's enough to reach as many people in our sphere of influence as possible for Christ. So if you're here and it's your first time in a church building like this, or at least in a long time, welcome. We're glad that you're here. We started this church for you. We believe that nobody is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ that the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And so, you know, part of it, we put the service on and we worship and we do all this fun stuff, but we're also about community on mission. I'd love to get to know you. Uh, Our leadership would love to get to know you, and we're honored you took time. Out of your somewhat warm February weekend... Isn't that awesome? Uh, To come here and worship with us. And so this morning, we're starting a new teaching series called Awaken Love. We're going to be studying verse by verse for six weeks Song of Solomon. If you're new to that book, it is a poetic song that is thought King Solomon wrote about his love for his wife, one of his wives. And we'll talk about that later. He was not a perfect man by any means. And we're going to talk about how he discovers uh, love in his life and that the woman that's represented in these chapters of Scripture, uh, you can just see the love that she has. It also leads to problems in their relationship. So throughout the series, we're going to use Song of Solomon as a launching pad to talk about very real things in our lives. Now, this morning is PG. Next week's going to be PG, but there are going to be PG-13 weeks in this teaching series. So when we talk about things, we actually talk about them. That's a good thing, right? So prepare yourself for that. We're going to talk about dating. We're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about marital conflict. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about all kinds of things as we address uh, many, many issues. The one thing we won't be addressing in this series, because we did just do it in July, are LGBT issues. So if you have those questions, feel free to ask, but I encourage you to get online and watch that teaching series. Um, And if you have any questions at all this morning, text it in to the number that will be on the screen, and we'd love to field those, and tomorrow morning at 9 a.m., I'll be waking up, I'll be answering those questions. I don't prep it. You're going to get a real raw response. It's a lot of fun, and we've had a lot of fun with that. Okay, here we go. Song of Solomon in chapter one. The theme for us uh, this morning, if our desire in this teaching series is to awaken love, This morning is about you actually wanting to awaken love. And so for some of you, if you were in here this morning and you are looking for that special someone and you've been waiting and you've been holding out, praise the Lord for that, and you got high standards, but you desire more, this is going to uh, speak to you. Next week, as we talk about dating, it's going to speak to you. For those of you who are married, and you've been married a really long time, And talking about these things is a very sore subject. I get it. And so we're going to talk about what would it look like in your marriage to awaken love. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been married for 30 years and you want to learn how to begin to date your spouse again and awaken love. These next couple of weeks are going to be fantastic for you. And here's the question I want us to ask as we answer uh, this question together is what attracts you if you're dating, what attracts you to someone? And if you're married and you're a Christian, what attracts you to your spouse? And I am going to give a very distinct uh, point of view and argument this morning as a Christian. According to scripture, I believe that when you look at our society and what we think of attraction, that we need to reverse the polarization of, of our attractions. Any scientists know what I'm talking about out, out there? A magnet naturally attracts certain things to it, and maybe you know the earth has a magnetic field. Come on, scientists. I learned this week that the magnetic field, meaning you have a compass, it always is attracted to the North Pole, correct? But that, I don't know if you knew that. Was that new to you? It is always attracted to the North. That's how you know where you're going. Did you know that the polarization of the Earth has changed before. I never knew that. Scientifically, it happens uh, at a certain period of time every so often. We won't get into the details. You can Google that online. But the reality is that the one day the compass was pointing north and the next day you woke up and it was pointing south. That's weird, isn't it? I mean, scientifically, at least they say it's two to three hundred thousand years is when that occurs. And that's a debate for another time. But what I wanted to address this morning is, in our culture, in our society, what we believe attracts us to another human being, I believe we need to just have a complete transformation of our minds. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, uh, the Bible teaches us that you will be renewed and your mind will actually be transformed, transformed as you get to know Christ. And so my desire is that we take some of the things that initially draw us into a romantic relationship, we lay it down and allow God to speak into it. That's it this morning. Would that be cool? Could we do that? Because here's the thing. Every relationship begins with attraction, whether it's a romantic one or not. And this morning, as we look at Song of Solomon chapter one, it was no different for these two individuals. And you're going to see real quick, I didn't write this. God inspired it. We believe that King Solomon had somebody, or he personally wrote this down, and so we're going to allow God to speak to us through this. Don't get mad at me for the words that it uses. Is that cool? Okay, here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, says this. Solomon's Song of Songs, or scholars say literally it might say the greatest song ever. And this is what the song says. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. This is the woman speaking. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. This is in the Bible. And you think this is pretty uh, vivid? We get to chapter four. Oh, man, it's going to get real. It's going to get real. And you're going to notice that God actually created these things in our romantic relationship. For those of you who are single, he placed some of those desires on your mind and on your soul. And so we're going to address them. It goes on, the friends respond, we rejoice and delight in you. We will praise you, your love more than wine. She says, how right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem. Dark like the tents of cedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard, and we'll talk about some of the euphemisms occurring here, I had to neglect. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. Will you pray with me as we dive into these verses? God, I thank you for each person here. As we uh, address each of the topics that come up throughout the chapters of Song of Solomon, we pray, God, you speak to us. Right now, we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us. God, for those of us who are here with our family or with friends, we acknowledge that right now you could be speaking to us about very direct things in our life, and we're afraid to admit it. So, God, we pray that you break down barriers through this series, God, that we will become vulnerable and be able to actually discuss with people what's really occurring in our lives, in this area in particular. And then, God, we ask your Holy Spirit, convict us, encourage us, challenge us, and change us. We pray that in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen, amen. Do you remember, for those of you who are married, do you remember the first time you ever met your spouse? Anybody out there? Okay, I bet we got some good stories. Let me tell you when I met my wife, Lisa. uh, I was living in Southern California at the time, and I walked into TJ Maxx in San Dimas, California. This is a true story. And I was buying a bunch of candles for the church service because this was like a long time ago, and that's what we did back then. And so I was buying candles, and I literally had in TJ Maxx an entire cart full of candles. And I hear this woman behind me. This is true. Long line. Have you ever been to TJ Maxx? Not a lot of young men during the day in there shopping for candles. I was in a long line of women who were wondering what in the world this guy was doing in the store. Doesn't he have a job? And all of a sudden I hear this woman behind me go, hey, what are you, some kind of candle freak? I was like, what in the world? Who? So I turn around, and there's this woman. And she's like, what's with all the candles? It wasn't my wife, by the way. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm getting these for church. She heard church, and her ears perked up, and she began to talk to me. And then after we were about, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute into the conversation, she said, oh, by the way, have you met Lisa? And suddenly, this small woman comes out from behind. This woman was very tall. She came out and, and introduced herself. I actually tell her to this day, she had on like this really thick green eyeshadow and I thought she was like 16 years old and I just began to treat her like a high school student. It was really weird and awkward. And so I wasn't thinking anything romantic and, and the woman begins to talk to me and then I realized that we're actually the same age and she just looks like a child. And so as we got to talk more, I found out that the woman she's shopping in TJ Maxx with was her boyfriend's mom who just introduced us in line at TJ Maxx. Now, they were on the break, so it's okay. But anyway, we didn't, Sparks didn't fly initially, but I was intrigued by this person, and about a month or two later, we connected on MySpace. Mm Mm-hmm. Us, uh, the two of us and Tom, that's how it happened, and we got together for coffee, and the Sparks flew for me, and not for her. And then I asked her to go out with me, and she said no. So I asked her again, and again, and again, and again. I literally, in one night, I asked her to go out with me about 20 times. Now, here was the thing. Some of you, like, stalker, creeper, get away, right? But there was, this is the key part. There was some uh, giggling and smiling every time I asked. So I knew that I was in. And before long, man, uh, I broke her down, and she eventually went out with me. And four months later, we were engaged. Six months after that, we were married. I'm not telling you that is the smartest way to go about things, but that's what happened. I believe in love. I believe it happens. I still love my wife. We're coming on our 10-year anniversary in March 5th, and we're getting to celebrate some things this year, and it's exciting in our marriage. But I want to tell you, marriage isn't always just flowers and puppies, is it? Neither is dating. Sometimes our, our hearts get broken. Some of us, we have been through relationship after relationship after relationship, and we're hurt, and we're angry, and we're sad, and we're broken, and we blame other people, and we even blame ourselves. And I think one of the first steps to having healthy relationships is, is to begin to acknowledge that the type of relationships described both in the Old and the New Testament when it comes to pursuing someone that you're gonna spend your life with looks differently than what our culture around us communicates to us on a daily basis. And I, I don't wanna underemphasize that, on a daily basis. If you ask people in our culture, and if you watch television, and you listen to the radio, and I do all of those things, I don't separate myself from culture, but if you do all of those things, you will begin to realize that we describe there are certain animalistic things that make people attracted to each other. Some of you are old enough enough to remember, is it hotornot.com, a website where you could actually grade the hotness of a person? Some of you, you're like, we don't need that anymore. I got Snapchat. They're sending me stuff all the time, and I'm following the people I am physically and animalistically attracted to. Go listen to some of the albums that are out there, man, and we don't need to go into great detail, but we could go into great detail about all the songs that talk about the hot um, physical attractions of people. And then for others of us, attraction is simply about security or about power or about popularity, Or about these certain things that aren't whether or not they are going to be meaningful in a long relationship and productive for the kingdom of God, but it's more just about what's going to make me feel like I'm powerful, I'm productive, I'm loved. And the attraction that is described in Song of Solomon and later on becomes quite different than what it looks like in our culture in our society. Just to give you an idea of how bad this is, and then we're going to move on. Uh, and this isn't just an American culture thing. We are obsessed with physical appearances, guys. Obsessed with it. And I'm not telling you, like, get being healthy and cross-fitting it up, baby. Uh, Lisa's got me on this diet thing, and I'm loving it. Like, be healthy. God wants you to keep your temple healthy, right? Your body's a temple. The Holy Spirit, the New Testament says. But uh, the obsession with it, the vanity that comes with it. It also occurs in other cultures and uh, where plastic surgery is very common. And again, I'm not telling you as a Christian, you can't get plastic surgery. It's about what, what's behind all of that. Uh, some of you have maybe heard this story before of a Chinese woman who it was thought, uh, I will go ahead and put the picture up there, of this family who this was an advertisement that was run. You can't see the two kids completely at the bottom, but you will notice something different about the kids' eyes than the parents' eyes. A very common surgery in Asian culture, plastic surgery, is to widen the eyes to look more like uh, some of white Western society. And we know that that's not a healthy thing, right? And yet it's very common in those cultures, and this actually was not a real family. It turned out this was an advertisement for a plastic surgery um, company with the tagline that said, the only thing you'll ever have to worry about is how to explain it to the kids. Here's the craziest part. This was viral all over the internet, like how dare those parents. It's not a true story. Those are, those are actually actor, actor models and, and kids. And the company doing the plastic surgery knew it would sell. Knew it would sell. And if you watch our commercials today in our society, all you got to do, man, watch one segment and one commercial in between two clips of television. You are going to see something that uses a sexual attraction to get you to buy something. And so I would love for us, rather than to have that view of what attraction should be in our lives, instead to have a healthy view. So I want to give you. Three healthy views of attraction this morning. If you're taking notes, stay with me. We're going to move quick. Three healthy views of attraction this morning. And the first one is this biblically. Don't find your security in your looks. Don't find your security in your looks. And by the way, we could underline looks there. And we could also put in your money, your wealth, and your material possessions, Don't find your security in your popularity. Don't find your security in the things that can be taken from you in this life. In fact, the verses describe this very thing. And if you want to awaken love in your life, you have to stop allowing insecurities to determine your identity. Let me say that one more time. If you want to awaken love in your life, you have to stop allowing insecurities to determine your identity. As a follower of Jesus, the Bible teaches very clearly your identity is firmly rooted in Jesus Christ. And that is something, no matter what happens, no matter how much your physical body ages, no matter what happens to your financial portfolio, that can never, ever be taken from you. It takes the pressure off of your shoulders. You see, in the passage in Song of Solomon, I'm going to come back to verses 1 through 4 at the very end. There's some initial attraction things there that actually almost cause them some problems in their relationship later on, we'll see. But in verses 5 through 8, if you look at those verses with me, the woman in this passage is wrestling with some insecurities. She says in verse 5, Dark am I, yet lovely daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of cedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me, because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, and my own vineyard had to neglect I had to neglect. What, what it says there is, in that culture, this is a Jewish woman, by the way, and so in that culture, in that society, she was part of the working class. It said that she was made to work in the vineyard, which meant she was the poor in the community. And as she worked in the vineyard, her skin became very darkened and tan, and I know some of you pay a lot of money for that, but she got it for free. And it actually did not give her any power or influence in that culture. It actually made people go, oh, she's poor. She has to work outside in the sun all day. And so they look down on people like that in their society, not too different from today, the insecurities we have about uh, silly physical appearances. And so in this passage um, that was thought to be written by King Solomon, It is demonstrating that this woman is actually wrestling with the physical insecurity that she has. Now, you don't need to raise your hands, but if you're here or you're watching online, ladies and gentlemen, I know that you all at times struggle with physical insecurities. The reality is, your body is not permanent. The New Testament teaches it's just a temporary dwelling, it compares it to a tent. And you're going to get your permanent home, your permanent body when you get to heaven, and it's going to be awesome. Eric Maitland's going to be like six foot four. It's going to have hair like Fabio. It's going to be thick like a horse's mane. It's going to be amazing. Um, we don't know what those will exactly look like, but we know that these are just temporary bodies for us. And rather than allowing them to prevent us from pursuing love in our lives, if we find our identity first rooted in Christ. The pressure to have to impress people is taken off our shoulders, and now all you got to do is just please him. You're one good heavenly father. The problem is, we'll get to later in this series, is that some of us, we don't trust him. We don't trust that he's going to give us what we want. And I would, I would argue that he puts desires in our lives for a reason, And so for some of us, we're afraid of rejection. So I've noticed this thing from my friends who are single that we spend a lot of time texting and Snapchatting and Instagramming. And again, I use social media. I text. There's nothing innately wrong with those things. But we do those things sometimes as a way because we are afraid. We got to play the game, right? Got to play the game because if we actually had a conversation and told the person how we are feeling that we might actually be rejected, And so we hide behind things and we're afraid to be direct. And yet when I talk to single people about which they would prefer someone do to them, they'd always prefer they be direct. You see, don't find your security in your looks or anything that can be taken from you. Find your security found only in your heavenly father. That he loves you just as you are. That he created you just as you are. And he loves you just as you are. And if you can't say that to yourself and you're like, uh uh God didn't make me uh, this way. It must have been a mistake. Genesis 127, from the very beginning of humanity, it says, So God created humankind or mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Both men and women in here, you were created in the image of God. Yes, physically, but even in your life, you are to bear his image. You represent him to the world. And I I want to tell you uh, as a pastor, very simply, that when you find your identity in your looks and you are insecure about them, it's kind of miserable. But a follower of Jesus... Gets the peace that surpasses understanding when you know that I'm created in the image of God. My goal is not to become something He did not want me to be, and He's going to provide for me with just the things I desire. So if I just continue to pursue Him, He's going to supply me with the things that I need. You were created in the image of God. He didn't mess up. You're just as He wants you. Just as He wants you. Don't find your security in your looks. Or anything that can be taken from you. Number two, if you're taking notes, focus on godly character as much as beauty. Focus on godly character as much as beauty. You see, the passage in Song of Solomon goes on in verse 9. I liken you, my darling, this is where it gets weird, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. He says, baby, you're hot like a horse. That's what I think of you. I don't know. That's his words, not mine. goes on verse 10. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. He will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. So he he says, honey, I know you're having these insecurities, but I find you very attractive. And for godly men and women out there, to speak those things into our spouse's lives or to the people that we're dating in a serious fashion, to say that I find you beautiful just as you are because that's what their heavenly father says, like that is very, very important. I always encourage um, married couples when they're going through premarital counseling, one of the things you should never do, because rookies make these mistakes, is that when you first get married, that when you see somebody undressed, um, that you would make any negative comments about their physical body, right? Like, that, that is a huge rookie mistake. And I want to tell you, um, the reason for that is you need to be speaking to the things of, the life, of their lives that God is concerned about. And God is more concerned about their character than just their outward appearance. Focus on godly character as much as beauty. Proverbs 31 uh, says, it's a famous passage in verse 30 to 31. It says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So, So here's the thing. Guys, it's talking to you in this passage that as a man... You should see those things in a woman, and that is what you should be most concerned about. That is what should attract you to somebody. A great example of this is in Genesis 24. We're not going to read the whole passage. It's very long, but Isaac is looking for a spouse. So he sends his servant out to find somebody. And when he goes to this particular city, the woman that he finds, that he chooses as Isaac's spouse, is the woman who is actually out helping and serving other people's needs. In particular, in the passage, she actually waters his camels multiple times. It was thought the well was very far away. That day, she may have walked like 20 miles getting water for these camels. That one of the more important things in finding a long-term relationship to awaken true love in your life that's not just a feeling but love that you will choose throughout your life is when you actually find somebody who's going to serve other people before themselves. That you should be looking for somebody who's willing to water the camels In your lives. That's what you, because the reality is marriage sometimes is more about changing dirty diapers than it is about chasing uh, fun activities all around the globe together. And when it comes and boils down to it, who is somebody that you want to invest your life in? Attraction doesn't just have to be power or popularity or intelligence or beauty, but attraction can also be there is somebody that is going to point me closer and closer to God in my life. Now, here's the thing. Uh, We're going to talk about physical attraction is still an okay, good thing. Uh, God actually made you physically attracted to people, and we're going to talk about that next week. And I encourage you, that's something you need in any healthy relationship, and, and that's okay to be honest and talk about. But, but and our culture, and our society. We put so much weight on that. So many people miss out on these great things. And so here's what I, I see happen. You have developed like a magnet. You are attracted to certain things. And when you have created these habits in your life, where you are attracted to animalistic looks, and that's all you were concerned about, and not the character of the person, that's why some of us end up dating the wrong people over and over and over. Go, why do I keep doing this? And we think, oh, it, probably something in my family, and it may have to do with past experiences, but the reality is you have created habits in your life where you are actually attracted to people who are bad for you. Right? And some of you are like, I really need my kids to hear this message. And I want to say, we all need to hear this message because we also develop some of those same very bad habits in our marriages, and we're going to be talking about that throughout this series. Attraction should focus just as much on the godly character as it does on the other physical things that attract you to somebody. The third and final point this morning is this, that you should look for a marathon runner and not just a sprinter. But the sprinters are sexy, let's be honest. If you want to have real love awakened in your life, look for a marathon runner and not just a sprinter. This couple almost gets themselves in trouble. And I would argue when you get to chapters 5 and 6, you will begin to see some conflict that occurs because of things that actually get started in verses 1 through 4. Because it said in the passage in verse uh, two, "Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young woman love you. She sees other women have flocked to him. I, I, I got to flock to him too, right? Not thinking about what uh, trouble that might cause later on in their relationship. Take me away with you. There is such a hurry in this passage, such a hurry." And the sprinters out there, you hurry to relationship to relationship, and your relationships are also often based on this feeling of love. And when there's difficult times that arise, well, then I just jump ship and I find the next person that could give me that same feeling all over again. And when that's gone, it means we fell out of love. Well, here's the thing I will tell you that any marriage counselor will tell you you choose love in your marriages, you choose it. And I have seen couples. Over and over again, the significant marriage conference has been going on this weekend at our church, and it's a great way to launch this series. And I mean, it's an amazing experience. My wife and I went through it, uh, but the reality is for some of us, it brings up really hard stuff when we talk about these things, and we think it'll never change. We'll never awaken love. If you're here this morning and you say, I want to awaken love in my marriage or in my dating life, become the marathon runner. Become somebody who is determined to, I'm going to invest for the long haul, and I'm not going to cause my spouse to just sprint off if you're in the dating world and rush into physical things. Uh, Chapter two we'll talk about next week says that there is a time. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires, that there is a time for that. And for those who are married, that you become a marathon runner who is more concerned about the long-term investment in the other person than just about what you can get in the short term from it that changes your dating life. It changes your marriages. I'm telling you, it can change. We have to stop running in so fast physically. For some of us, we've had our hearts broken. We've had um, uh, relationships ruined. If you find yourself attracted to men or women who move fast, who pressure you physically, who do not have your best intentions in mind, what does that say about you? I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you if you've been a victim in some way. That changes everything, right? But if we're putting ourselves in those situations, it says that that is actually what we have been attracted to. This morning, we're going to repolarize some things in our lives. We're going to change the attraction level. Until you change, you'll see this attraction continue. When Christ is the most important thing in your life, you'll see yourself attracted to what he is and was and will be. And when you see somebody who acts more like Jesus, who bears the image of God well, you will begin to become more attracted to that person because you desire somebody who wants that. Who wants that with you, and yes, physical attraction is still needed. Yes, intellectual, emotional connection absolutely needed. We'll talk about that. But if you don't first begin with, I want to find focus on godly character of this person, I'm gonna look for a marathon runner, not just a sprinter. You're gonna miss out on some things. Philippians 4 8 and 9 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, whatever you have learned, or received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put into practice. And the God, here get this, and the God of peace will be with you. When you pursue some of those noble things that God desires for us to purify things in your life, he's going to give you this sense of peace that you no longer have the pressure to actually see things fixed in your life. As we close out, I want to share just a couple of things. One of them, I was talking to my wife about this And I I don't know if this was a healthy practice. And I told her I wasn't sure if I was going to share this, but honey, I'm going to share it anyway. So here's what happened. When we first started dating, um, she had dated the ex-boyfriend's mom's son, her ex-boyfriend, for several years. And he's a great guy. He's he's a strong Christian. And um, he was friends with some of my friends, I found out later on. And so uh, we were, I was in my 20s at the time, so I still did things like go play football and intramural basketball and all that kinds of stuff. And I invited her ex-boyfriend to hang out with us sometimes. She's like, what are you doing? Inviting my ex-boyfriend? And "And I want to tell you, um, I realized at that time, I don't know if that was a good thing because now I'm like, I don't want anybody coming between me and my wife. But at the time, I knew that my, my primary identity was found in Christ and I didn't feel threatened by other things in my life because I just wanted his best. Right, And that changes, it takes all the pressure off then. The peace that surpasses understanding. As it said in Philippians 4 and 9, it said, and the God of peace will be with you. His shalom is what that is. His shalom is with you. You don't have to worry so much. You just have to love him and love others well. And so I'd encourage you, if we put this on the screen, find someone who's concerned about the long haul and not just the quick finish. You think you can't change but you can. You can reverse the magnetism in your life. Allow godly attraction to take over, and I would encourage you to do that very thing. And as we close out, I want to give you some steps to take to change your life in this area. And it might be that you just have some people lay hands and and pray, maybe even anoint you this morning, and ask God for a radical life change in this area of your life. We do that in a prayer room every week. For some of you, that may mean to step out in faith and say, I want to get connected with a Christian counselor that I could talk about these things. I encourage any of our pastors are available to meet with you and then we'd love to connect you with long-term Christian counselors. Our church will even help pay for the first four hours of sessions with any Christian counselor. And it's very expensive to do and we love to do it because these things matter. And then maybe for some of you, the reality is you could go to all the counseling in the world. You could even have other people pray for you. But if you don't first have instilled within you that your primary identity is found in the Lord of the world, Jesus Christ that you find your eternal salvation in him, that you find your life change and restoration in him, that you find the reason that you exist and you get up and go to work every morning is not just to fill your bank account, but actually to love people like Jesus did and allow him to change every aspect of your life. If you don't first start with that primary identity, all the rest of this dating and marriage stuff is gonna be really hard for you. And so I wanna give you the opportunity to respond to that this morning and say, I want that. I want that type of dating life. I want that type of marriage. And it begins not with change, changing other people first. It begins with God changing me now. Will you pray with me? Lord, we worship you. We thank you that you are real and that you are living and that you are active. And you're the one that created attraction. You're the one that created sex and dating and marriage, all this stuff that we're gonna talk about. But God, right now, for many of us, that is a hurting subject and we need a, a radical life change in this area, God. Some of us, we have some things we need to just confess to you. Maybe that's you, just with, not out loud, you don't even need to go talk to somebody right now, maybe that's for later, but right now, just confess something in your life that maybe you need to, just between you and the Lord, quietly in your mind. God, we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that you love us just where we are and that you will forgive us and that you do bring power and authority to change things in our world and in our lives. And there are some of us here right now who we have known about you. We have attended churches. We've even read the Bible at times. But you are not our primary identity. We have many things that we focus on in our lives long before we focus on you. If you would like to change that this morning and find the peace that surpasses understanding when you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I need you. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I surrender everything in my life to you, Jesus. Use me. You are now my primary identity. I want to serve you in my dating life, in my workplace, in my home life, in my social world. I'm yours. God, we love you. We give you our lives this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.